You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Our mission is to bring the hope of Jesus to Jaffrey and beyond. We are here to know Christ, grow in Christ, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. If you would, please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 65. Psalm 65, and uh, the title of the sermon this morning is The God of Abundance and Our Abundant Joy. The God of Abundance and Our Abundant Joy. What I'm going to do is read the text first, we'll pray over it, and then we'll just study it together. Psalm 65, give you a minute to turn there. This is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God, of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows close themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's start with prayer. Our Father in heaven, as your people, we have every reason to be joyful. And, and we want to experience that. We want to find our joy in you this morning. And we pray that as we open up this text, that you would guide my words, that you would soften the hearts of, of the congregation in front of me, that our ears would be quick to hear, and that we'd find something to apply this morning. We pray that you comfort us and counsel us. We also pray that if there are those among us who are, are only now thinking through the gospel of Jesus Christ and thinking through what it means to follow him, that even today would be the day of joyous salvation and that they would find that you atone for our iniquities. And so we bring these things before you. This is your word. May your message go forth. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this idea of the God of abundance and our abundant joy, when we think of the idea of abundance, it's, it's not a concept that is foreign to us. You can think of an, an abundant coffee mug trying to balance it so it doesn't spill overflowing, or a, or a science fair volcano when you mix the vinegar with the baking soda and it overflows with abundance, or, or a riverbank after a, a long rain. But also abundance and connecting it with joy is something that makes sense to us pretty easily as well. 
So if I have an abundant ice cream sundae and I put it in front of my daughter Noel, you will see her face light up with joy at the presence of abundance. Or you, if you see an abundant tax return, you will be joyful and you will rejoice. Or you think of, of a team winning the World Series, they will bring out the, the champagne in abundance and celebrate with joy. So that makes sense to us. And, and that is the idea that I want to talk about today is this, this connection of abundance and joy. Particularly, God and his abundance and the joy that we experience from knowing him and being under him. If you're a note taker, uh, the, the main idea that I want to communicate today is as you walk away and think about this text is this. The overseeing God of abundance fills his people with abundant joy. The overseeing God of abundance fills his people with abundant joy. And let me just break that down briefly. I, I, I say the overseeing God because the text here presents God as an overseer or as a caretaker, even at the end, as a gardener of his creation. That this is something that he oversees and takes personal and intimate care for. The text also presents him not just as the overseeing God, but as the God of abundance. And what we'll see is, as we break the text down, there are different spheres of activity that God works in, and in every sphere, he is doing so carefully and with power and with abundance. And then finally, the idea that this God of abundance fills his people with joy, it is that these characteristics of God, these spheres of his activity, is the grounding for our joy. And that's really, really important. And maybe this is the idea that, that if there's anything else that you might walk away with this morning, it's that our joy is grounded in something external to us, and that is God. That's God and his characteristics. And I really want to make that point because not everybody walks in this morning just ready to be joyful, right? Just ready to rejoice. You might be here today with griefs and pains and, and trials that at times feel unbearable. And that is why it's important that as we pursue a joy, I'm not just saying deny reality and be joyful. Just put a smile on your face and you'll be fine. What I'm saying is we have a God who has certain characteristics that grounds our joy and therefore circumstances and feelings aren't the reason we're joyful. We're joyful because of our relationship to God. Um, this particular psalm came to me at a, I kind of stumbled upon it at a moment of, of great sadness and great confusion. And, and I chose to take some time to meditate on this psalm because I know scripturally that even in grief, there's a place for joy. How else could, could the author of James say, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds? And so today, I don't want to make a simple exhortation and ignore the reality of trials, but rather, if you are here today and you're experiencing a trial, we are together to acknowledge the reality of a God who is abundant and he cares for his people. So, the overseeing God of abundance fills his people with abundant joy. And the way we're going to look at this this morning is break down the text into three parts and we're going to see three characteristics of God that will fill our hearts with joy. Three characteristics of God that will fill our heart with joy. And what I want you to do is to picture your heart like it is a vessel or a container or a cup, and it's like we're pouring three streams into our hearts, 
am reflecting on and meditating on, and these streams of God's character, Lord willing, will cause our hearts to therefore overflow with abundant joy. And I'll give you these characteristics on the front end. We're going to see that God is redeemer in verses 1 through 4, that God is creator in verses 5 through 8, and that God is provider in verses 9 through 3, uh, 13. So God is redeemer, God is creator, and God is provider. So verses 1 through 4, I'll read them again. God is redeemer. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. The picture here is the gathering of God's people in a context similar to like what we're doing right now, gathering to worship. Commentators have said that perhaps the initial impetus is of the writing of this psalm was a harvest festival, one of Israel's harvest festivals, rejoicing at the harvest that God is giving, maybe the day of atonement. And, and this gathering is seen pretty clearly in the text. Verse 1, we hear of praise and vows being performed. Verse 2, there's, there's prayer and people coming to God. And verse 4 clearly sets the location in God's courts and in his house and in his temple. But this characteristic of God as Redeemer is really found in verse 3. Notice that it says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Basically, although God's people may experience failure, falling to sin, iniquities or sin prevailing against them, coming down on top of them, God is a God who atones, who forgives transgression. And I actually think it's really significant that David, the psalmist, starts, when he's talking about a a psalm of of joy and abundance, and there's all these amazing descriptions of who God is, that first he starts with atonement, with redemption. I read one article about this psalm where, where the writer said that it's as if these verses are a gateway to the rest of the psalm. That, that if you're going to experience the blessings that this psalm describes, first you have to get your relationship with God worked out. And so there's this idea of, of atonement. And consider how, how that played out for Israel under the old covenant. Truly, we know that they were blessed, right? God was literally living in their camp. First in the tent of the tabernacle, and then in Jerusalem in the building of the temple. God's actual presence was there. But that was also kind of a scary thing. So we're just saying, uh, you know, only a holy God. That there was a problem here of God being holy, dwelling in the midst of a sinful people. And, and they were constantly reminded of that, uh, of the common problem for not just Israel, but for all of humanity, which is sin. And through their rituals and sacrifices, they were reminded that it's, it's no small matter to approach a holy God. And this was probably most vividly pictured in the sacrifice of a spotless lamb or, or animals, which in that covenant community would atone for the judgment they deserved. And so you have to realize that in a psalm like this, it's so easy to just, to just brush past a verse like verse 3, but this should, should cause us to, to worship. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone 
for our transgressions. That is a awe-inspiring, amazing, jaw-dropping reality. And for Israel, all of this pointed forward, not to a continuous, perpetual, sacrificial system, but as Hebrews says, to a once-for-all sacrifice of God's Son on the cross for his people. So, so it's not just the psalmist who can say this, but now you and I can say, you, O oh God, atone for our transgressions. You have atoned for our transgressions in the work and death and resurrection of Christ. And so the old covenant pointed forward, but now we who have faith in Christ rest. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. And so Christian, as you reflect on God's character this morning, Sometimes we we just have to stop and remember, God is, He is your Redeemer. You are redeemed. Christ's redemption is the basis for your relationship to Him. Not your performance, not your circumstances, not your family history, not how you spent your time this last week. Your basis of your relationship to God is Christ. It's atonement that He has provided. And if you're here today and, and you do not know Jesus, I just want to invite you to find your greatest need met in him this morning. And that's not me coming up here being a a health and wealth uh, preacher or anything like that. It is that we need to recognize our greatest need is to be reconciled to God, and Christ has done that for us. So let, let me just summarize then what the characteristic of God as Redeemer paints for us as a picture. The summary is that God's salvation as Redeemer creates an abundant relationship. So thinking of abundance, what is the abundance that we experience? God has this abundant redemption, and now we have an abundant relationship. And what do I mean by that? Well, well, we've seen atonement, okay, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of guilt, reconciliation. But how about, how about the way the New Testament talks about this? Romans 3.25 talks about Christ propitiating or or atoning for God's wrath so that a sacrifice is in our place and we're forgiven. Colossians 1 says that we were once alienated and now we are reconciled in Christ's body of flesh by his death. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ and get this, not counting their trespasses against them. So, In the gospel, we have this ledger, this this debt that needs to be paid, and Christ steps into it and pays it. And God does not count our trespasses against us. And then maybe the most beautiful of all, 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called what? Children of God. That is your relationship to him if you are in Christ. So therefore, meditate, reflect on take joy in, believe that God is Redeemer. Maybe one of the best ways that you could apply this even this afternoon is to go home around the dinner table and to just take some time reflecting on who you once were and who you now are in Christ. What was your relationship to God prior to Christ and what is it now? And remind each other of this truth and rejoice in it. And as we worship him for this, this is the first characteristic that fills our hearts with joy. Pouring into the cup of our hearts is that God is redeemer. He is an overseer who sees the brokenness and the sinfulness of his creation, and he steps into it. He doesn't move away from it in disgust. He doesn't doesn't, uh, just say, I'm done with my people. 
He moves into it and redeems. That is our God as overseer. But the second characteristic that should fill our heart with joy is not just that God is redeemer, but second, that God is creator. And this is found in verses 5 through 8. And basically, a a shift happens in verse 5 where we move from temple worship and the context of gathering and worshiping and the need for atonement to now reflecting on God's power over nature. Notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. And then then listen to this shift now. We've moved from Redeemer to now Creator. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. I, I think we can all agree that the mountains are girded with might. If you were to stand at the bottom of Mount Monadnock, you're, you're not moving that thing. You look at the rolling hills of New England. And I got to spend some time in, in Idaho, and it was like New England, but everything was like two times the size. These massive hills just towering over you with, with sheer drops. And, and the beauty of, of a place like maybe Colorado and its snow-capped peaks. And we don't even think about moving the mountains but God wasn't just able to move the mountains. He established the mountains. He built them, if you will. And this same kind of power is expressed over the chaos of the seas, for he is able to calm the roaring oceans and its waves. Verse 7, he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and I love this, the tumult of the peoples. So this authority over creation then extends beyond nature to humanity itself. We turn from the the strength of mountains and and the raging of the oceans, and then we turn to the unruliness of humanity. This agitation and commotion and turmoil that we see across our planet. The things that to us feel like they are unsolvable. The wars and the broken families, and the school shootings, and the godless culture, and sin, and the brokenness. And and I think that probably included here, maybe even primary here, is the rebellion of God's humanity against him. If you think of like the Tower of Babel, or Psalm 2, where the nations rage, where people come together and their goal is to throw off the shackles of the creator. And, And God says, not happening. That's not a possibility. He silences the tumult of the peoples. And so whether it's rebellion against God or simply the turmoil of living in a sin-cursed world, it's it's nothing to God. He he is above it. And and maybe at risk of being a little bit silly, what comes to, to my mind in this kind of picture of God just silencing commotion are those classic old cartoon fight scenes where, where when you see two people or three people in, in a battle, how does the animator animate it? It's like there's, there's like a whirlwind and there's these arms flying out all over the place and kicking. And, and, and the one that comes to mind particularly is I, I watch a lot of princess and Disney movies with my kids because I got three daughters. And we watched the Aristocats a lot when, you know, a few years ago. And there's this one scene at the end where the, where the antagonist, uh, the butler, Edgar, is trying to get rid of these cats because he wants to get this inheritance from his employer. And what, what he does then is he starts fighting these cats. And he's, he's, he's beating up the cats and they're all jumping at him. There's commotion. Arms are flying. Cats are meowing. And, and there's one character who's off to the side trying to focus on something. And, and this tumult of the peoples is is distracting him. And so what does he do? He stops and he says, quiet! And 
They all stop mid-fight. The cats are like hanging by a tail, and he, he focuses on his thing, and he fixes it, and they all go back to it again. They're fighting. And I know it's a little silly, but, but God sees the tumult of the wars and the violence and the sin of humanity, and, and if he wants to, he can step in and say, quiet, and it will happen. The, the seas will stop raging. The people will stop in awe. Notice that it says in verse 8, that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. God can say, be still, and, and it will be still. And, and by the way, we know that that's true at any time, but we know that it's also ultimately true. One day, God will step in. And, and he will bring his peace and his justice and his mercy onto our planet. And he will say, be still. And we will enter a, a stage in history of peace and glory and rest. And, and I think we have to take comfort in that even as we experience the tumult of our own lives. Whether it's looking at, out and feeling unsafe at the culture we live in or the planet we live on, or it's simply the tumult of our own hearts and the sin that we see in our own lives and the trials that we go through. We look over the turmoil of this planet and it does feel unsafe at times, but God is creator. The end of the book of Job, we've been studying this in, in our Sunday school class, but the end of the book of Job presents God as infinite in knowledge and in power. And friends... If you're a Christian today, that God is on your side. And that means security. That means peace. It means hope for an eternal future. And that is hard in the moment sometimes to reflect on that, but we do well to reflect on that and to seek to conform our hearts in joy to our relationship to God. So let's, let's summarize then. I, I want to summarize at the end of each, each point if at first we saw that God's salvation as Redeemer creates an abundant relationship, okay, so we are now children of God, we are uh, in Christ, and we are forgiven, well, now we see that God's power as Creator ensures an abundant confidence, okay, an abundant confidence. These mountains are a picture of security, and God is over those. He's more secure than the mountains, and that's our God, which means we can be secure. We can pray expectantly. That's something I've been working on recently is I think a lot of times I pray very unexpectantly. Like I don't know that God actually has any concern for this thing in my life and I, I pray but not expecting that it's going to, be, to happen. And I'm working on praying expectantly because God is powerful and he can do it and he cares. And also God as creator quells our fears. If, if, if God is over all of this, then the things we see going on around us cannot ultimately shake us, not even death, okay, not even death. And by the way, we know this creator, of course, through nature and through the revelation of his word, general and specific revelation, but we also know most fully this God, this holy God, in the revelation of his son. And I think a text like this has to remind us of Jesus on the boat in the roaring waves, and what does he do? Peace, be still. And creation immediately responds. Friends, that is our God. He is with us in that way. And so we rejoice in God as our Redeemer and God as our Creator. And finally, and I'll go quickly through this, and then I want to kind of apply how this then plays out in our lives. How do, we, how do we actually pursue joy? Well, third, God is provider in verses 9 through 13. 
And I think that this is just such a beautiful and vivid climax to this psalm. We, we approach God on the basis of, it, of his redemption, and we are in awe of his power as creator. But then, as we, as we think on those things, we simply stop and we just delight in how God provides as he is present and interacts with his creation. And, and it pictures God like a gardener, okay? We think of God as king, rightfully so. Um, certainly, he is holy, and he is powerful, and he is just. But have you ever pictured him, like, on his hands and knees, caring for his creation, thinking about it with, with compassion and with joy. That's the picture here. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Have you ever seen a nature documentary where they are looking at plants? A lot of times what they'll do is, is you know, they have these, the cameras set on these plants and they, they'll do these time lapses over a long period of time. And you, maybe sometimes they'll show winter turning to spring and it's like the snow is melting and, and then up buds the flowers and the fruit and you see life being abundant. The picture here is of God passing over his creation, and it's like a time lapse of winter into spring. As his cart passes by, everything behind him just starts to burst into life because his presence brings life. When God is present, the earth is enriched, and the creation itself responds in joy. Verse 12, the pastures in the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. It's like his creation is putting on a, a, a coat of joy because God is here. They're putting on their best. They're getting ready for God because God is passing by. Verse 13, the meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. And so too should we. So too should we, because when God is present, the earth is enriched. And I think, though, we read that, and I think sometimes at least, you know, we go out into creation and we get this sense. So you go on a hike and you can feel a text like this. But I think there's other times where, at least in my own life, it's like, what gives, right? Are, are these blessings for us now or not? Because it seems like God is this God now, so why is my life not feeling like, a, like an abundant time of provision? I think one thing is that for Israel, in the context of the Old Covenant, there were actual blessings and curses attached to their faithfulness to the covenant. So if they were following God's rules and laws, they could be sure that the Israel would, would be blessed. But I think it's different for us today in the New Covenant in which I do think we can expect this, but our hope and our joy is ultimately, ultimately placed in the future. And that doesn't mean that we can't expect blessing. I think Ephesians 1 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, so I do think we follow Christ, we follow God, we can expect blessing. But we can also expect trials and tribulations. So there's this mingled kind of moment now at this time in history where we're experiencing both God's blessing and also the reality of living in a broken world. But I think, too, this language here in Psalm 65 sounds a lot like Eden, 
Okay, there's this river of God that, that, that when the river goes through, it waters his creation and, and the earth is restored. And we know that God is ultimately going to restore this broken world when? When his son returns, when the king is established over this planet to rule in righteousness and justice. And until then, we hope, we hope, and we reflect on this reality and we live in light of this reality. And so then, what, how do we summarize this, this text? Well, we have God's redemption, his salvation, which leads to an abundant relationship. We have God's creation, and as creator, it, it leads to an abundant security and confidence. And now finally, God's presence as provider overflows in abundant growth. And maybe you'll experience that at times in his blessing on your life in physical ways, but, but ultimately, It's in joy and gratitude and expectant hope and worship for knowing God and who he is. God himself is the joy, is the gift, is the blessing. Now, I think the question becomes, what then do we do with this? Do we just repeat over and over, God is redemption, God is provider, God is creator? Um, How do we actually reflect on this? How do we make this psalm a joy-inducing psalm in our own lives? As I enter life this week, how do I use this psalm and apply it for God's glory? And I want to end by way of application by thinking about how do these characteristics of God shape our praise, our prayers, and our expectations, okay? So our praise, our prayers, and our expectation. What I'm calling you today is pursue joy through your praise, pursue joy through your prayers, and pursue joy through your expectations. I think one of the questions that this psalm basically leaves unanswered for us is, um, what exactly is the context of this psalm? I've mentioned that maybe it was initially written as a, in a time of harvest to look back on and see how God has already provided this harvest for them. But, but I think also, you say, is it a, maybe it's a prayer. Because in recognizing that God has these characteristics, maybe the implication is that we should pray this psalm and pray that God brings this kind of blessing. There's also this mention of atonement, so maybe it's, it's a psalm of repentance as well. There's all these different kind of channels influencing this psalm. And it's not so clear-cut how, how the individual Christian um, should apply this, this, this pursuit of joy, especially when life doesn't feel abundant. And so let me suggest that a psalm like this should shape our praise as we reflect on what has been and what is who God is and who, what he does. It should shape our prayers in what we pray for and what we continue to pray for and then our expectations, what we then trust God is going to bring about, okay? And, and the reason I mention this is because um, when I first found this psalm, I remember telling my wife, um, you know, I read this psalm and I thought this year was, was going to be one of abundance, right? And so far, it hasn't felt like it. In fact, it's felt like it's more of the same. We've kind of had a hard past two years. And, and my wife, who is just um, very godly and encourages me in my walk with Christ, just pointed out, Ben, God has blessed us abundantly. Yeah, there are hard things, but, but look at our family. Look at our church. Look at our salvation. Look at our relationship to God. And it was in talking with her through those things that I realized, okay, we need to pursue this then. We need to pursue joy. And, and we need to pray that God would bring abundance. And then to look forward to the fact that there will be total fulfillment in the kingdom. 
So let's just go through those three things, praise, prayer, and expectation briefly. So Psalm 65 can and should shape our praise. And that's obvious in the text, right? Is praise is due to you, O God. Um, there's this sense of just coming to God with his character and blessing him for it and rejoicing in it. And so, yes, this psalm certainly can be a psalm simply of just praise, praying it and singing it together. It's, re- it's rejoicing in salvation and atonement through Christ. It's reminding each other of these truths as a church. It's rejoicing in simply knowing God, the creator of the universe, the God of this power and authority, that that God is our God. And then I think there's a time to simply just stop and recount God's blessings. So I, I did this uh, when, when I was working through this text for our own church and just stopped for a second and thought about what is God doing in Community Bible Church? And when I stopped, just to think about the past like few months, I saw that that there was growth in our numbers and spiritual maturity that is happening in our congregation. We were praising God for a pregnancy that was prayed for for so long and God had finally answered that prayer. It was pointing out noticeable positive change that the Holy Spirit had wrought in a certain individual through sanctification. We were rejoicing in the conversion of a young middle school girl that had happened just a few weeks ago. We had just gotten through the winter season and and seen God keeping families sane and walking with him through sickness and difficulty. It was faithful marriages in our church. It was the pursuit of unity in the midst of disagreement. It was seeing volunteers use their gifts. All of this had happened in the life of our church in in recent months, and I am sure that if you stop and think about that here, the same would be true. The same would be true. It's life and breath and nature and food on the table and, and community and friendship. God has provided for you here today those things, and we do well to point it out in praise. So obviously, praise. You pursue joy by, by praise. But I think we can also pursue joy through prayer. And we, we see this in verse 2, where we acknowledge in verse 2 that God is a God who hears prayer. And verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness implies probably that these people have been praying. And so if you're going through a dry season, this is a psalm to pray, to stir up joy within your heart as you rehearse God's character. Okay? It's confessing the need for atonement and not wallowing in your guilt and shame when you fall because God does atone for your transgressions. Maybe for you it's coming to Christ for the first time. It's coming to God as creator and asking him to do certain things because he can do those things, which means it can be praying, God, would you make this year a year of abundance? It's okay to pray for food on the table. It's okay to pray for a new job and a pay raise and security in our community and peace for the church. And then to keep going and pray for health for our loved ones, the conversion of our children, and ultimately the return of Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's okay to pray openly and honestly for your requests and your desires to say, God, would you pass by and bring life in your wake? And then finally, I think Psalm 65 needs to shape our expectations. I talked about this Edenic language, this language that seems, uh, we could say it's eschatological, it's it's end times focused, it seems. Okay, so this idea of the river of God, okay, there was a river in the Garden of Eden, and in Revelation, there's a river in the final kingdom, and here, the river of God is full of water, and it provides grain. 
and this, this idea of universality in which the, uh, the peoples, even the Gentiles in this psalm context, are gathering to worship God. And, and the tumult of the peoples is being silenced. All of this seems to be pointing forward to a day when this will happen. We know that an end is coming. And when the un- end comes, this, see- this scene in Psalm 65 will not just be a prayer. It will be our daily reality. We will be with God and he will bless us. One day we will see him and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. God, the creator of the universe, will be our God and we will be his people. And ultimately, like we sang this morning, we will see a new heaven and a new earth and sing a new song as an ingathering of worshipers from every tongue and every tribe and every nation experiences the abundance of God's provision. This is our overseeing God. He is redeemer, he is creator, and he's provider. Let me finish by reading Revelation chapter 21 verses 22 through 26. This is where we're headed as Christians. This is the final day of the new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Psalm 65 will be a description of our daily present experience as we experience the abundance under the caring, providing hands of our overseeing God. So friends, God's salvation as Redeemer creates an abundant relationship with Him. God's power as Creator ensures an abundant confidence. God's presence as Provider overflows in abundant growth. And all of these truths give our praise, our prayers, and our expectation the shape of joy as the God of abundance fills his people with abundant joy. So would you pursue that with me this morning as we leave here and reflect on these realities? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we acknowledge you today, that you are the overseeing, holy, righteous God. First, we are overjoyed and in awe of the fact that you as the holy God would see fit to save a people for yourself, that you would not simply overlook our transgressions, but you don't hold them against us on the basis of Christ. And we praise you for that. We praise you that you are our creator, that you are our security and our power and our strength, and that you provide for us in our time of need. And Lord, we pray. We pray first first in our present experience that this would be a week, a month, a day of abundance in which we, we enjoy your provision and your presence. But ultimately, Lord, we look forward 
we know that a day is coming when you will reign fully and in your glory and this earth will be at peace and rest and we long for that day and we rejoice in it so help us lord maybe it's just a simple stop to reflect on these ideas and i pray that we would this week and would encourage our hearts in jesus name amen